Good morning, everyone. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Dear gracious God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the gift of the people that joined the church today. I could sit down right now and not even preach, and that would be a sermon in itself. We thank you for the body of Christ as it's growing and expanding and bringing your love to this community and truly making your love real in Tampa and around the world. We pray now as we open your word and we, we ponder what it means, that we ponder servanthood and friendship. Thank you for the opportunity to come and share today with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In 2010, I had moved from Leewood, Kansas to Florida. It was at the height of the economic crisis, and I relocated to the east side of Florida, right on the coast. I was in my third year of seminary. I transferred to Asbury Theological Seminary, and I was serving as a student pastor at a local church. One of the first things I noticed across the street when I arrived at the church was a large gathering of people that would be there every single day. I soon learned by talking to people that they were a group of people that mainly lived in the woods nearby, and they would gather and fellowship in, in the park, charge the phones, get something to drink, take some shade in the shelters. So I decided as a new pastor, or a new student pastor really, that I would uh, go over and, and introduce myself. And I did the only thing I knew how to do, the only thing I was trained to do. I went and found myself a cardboard box, empty box, and I started loading it with things to eat. And then I got some underwear from the, the clothing pantry and some socks and some other things I thought people could use if they were camping out. And I grabbed my box and I started walking across the street. Now, honestly, I had no idea what I was going to say to these guys. And I was praying on the way over, God, give me the right words to say because I'm going to approach a bunch of strangers that I don't know and talk to them. And as I walked over to the park, uh, the first few victims I came across were these four guys under a shelter. And they were very kind and gracious as I approached with my cardboard box. I put it down, and they were quite interested in what I had in there and started looking through. And I said, well, look through whatever you need. And they started taking things, and they, they were very appreciative of what was going on, and they were grabbing them out of there. And so I was thinking to myself, man, this ministry's really, this thing's really working here. So I, I might as well just go for it and, and ask them if they want to pray. And, and they did. So they, they gave me certain uh, things that were going on in their lives and, and, and things that were troubling them. And, and, and so I, uh, we took each other's hands and we gathered around this picnic table and we had this, what I thought was a beautiful word of prayer. And I stayed for a few more minutes afterwards and I grabbed my cardboard box and I was walking back across the park, heading back to the church. And as I was walking back across the street with my cardboard box, I was looking at this empty box and I was thinking, man, this is the Matthew 25 ministry going on right here. We had a whole box of food and we fed people that were hungry and people that needed clothes as, as winter was coming on in Florida uh, were able to get some clothes. And, and I was just about to cross the, the, the highway back to the church when all of a sudden I felt a hand slam onto my shoulder. It startled me and I spun around and it was one of the men. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to, 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 to startle you. He said, but, but we were watching you uh, walking back across the park with your box and we realized that we hadn't prayed for you. Not one person prayed for you. And he said, you know, we don't know anything about you other than your first name. And in that moment, I, I was a bit startled and 
in a moment of vulnerability, I said, well, my dad's been sick for years, and I'm afraid he's going to be gone in a month or two, and I'm going to be here stuck in Florida. I said, you know, I'm, I'm terribly homesick. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And in that moment of vulnerability, the man listened to me, and then he said, he called all the guys back over and said, hey, we need to do another prayer, guys. And at that moment, these men, these new friends gathered around me, and we had this moment of prayer. Now, what might seem like just a brief passing anecdotal story from some seminarian years ago was really for me like a ship with a little rudder that just got turned a little bit. At the time, it didn't seem like much, but as the years would pass, I realized that that one moment was what put me in a different course and a direction that would change my life over the next decade. Sometimes life's like that. Sometimes these events happen, little things that we do, engagements, uh, interactions with people. We have no idea what they'll do to shape us and form us spiritually. Well, over the course of five years, I got to know these men really well. I learned their stories. I learned about their gifts, their strengths, their weaknesses, their hurts, their hang-ups, their addictions, and they would learn all about mine too. They would let me know and show me what life on the street was like and the hardship and the things they faced every day, giving me a great deal of empathy for the struggles they faced. But they also showed me hospitality and kindness, humor, and a welcoming spirit. They often shared drinks with me, not always water, by the way, and a bite to eat. And one guy who routinely kept a spare tent in his camp even invited me over to stay one night. And after spending a lot of time with these men and women, I started to observe the churches that would interact with them. There were some really good people that were trying to relate and connect, but the bulk of people I, I witnessed over that five years were people that were there providing material goods and, and sometimes theological goods, but they seemed to keep a distance from some of the folks. And in turn, there was a sense of separation from the church for many of the people that I talked to. And it got me thinking about this idea of Matthew 25 and how I interpreted it as a budding theologian or student pastor. You know, see, up to that point, Matthew 25, to me, made good sense. You see, as a church, and I speak for myself, I can't speak for you, but as a person, Matthew 25 drew me in because of the idea of servanthood is strong. And I think we're called to be servants. We're called to be uh, serving others. And I was quite comfortable and passionate with the first section of Matthew 25 we read today. You know, where we, we get people food and we, we get them clothing. And, and, and those are things that I like to do because I'm called as a servant. And if I'm honest with you guys, the reason I also like those things is because they're measurable. I can see them. I can see when somebody's stomach is full and they're happy because they had something to eat. I can see somebody who was formerly uh, naked or, or wearing shattered clothes and, and now they're dressed. And, and so it drew me in. But the more I reflected on it, the more I realized that the second part of Matthew 25 and that pericope and that section of scripture was a little more challenging. I wasn't so much into to visiting people in prisons, nor was I always visiting people who were sick let alone welcoming people in. You see, I was a part of the church, and the church for many long years has relegated that part of Matthew 25 to professional ministry and outreach. Now, back in the early days, those things would involve very personal things. Visiting people in prison 
uh, meant that you might put yourself at risk with the Roman Empire as you're visiting people that are insurrectionist. Visiting people who were sick would have meant probably contracting a disease that might hurt you or at least give you a stigma of touching someone who's unclean. And welcoming somebody into your presence and into your home and, and sharing your food meant sharing your food, the stuff that you had to eat. But in many ways, the church has broadened away from that and separated. And I think that's something we see now today in the church, that there is a separation. So what really drew me into this series, and, and, and by the way, I've loved this series and, and watching it and, and, and uh, seeing how you're talking about the upside down life. Because when I consider servanthood and ministry, I see how Jesus reframes long-held assumptions we have about the way the church works. And today, very briefly, I just want to talk about servanthood and how servanthood mingles with friendship. Now, for the last 20 or 30 years in the church and in theology and education, there's been an increasing emphasis on servanthood. We see it in Christian bookstores. We see it on Amazon. Or if you, you, you go online, you'll see lots of books and guidelines about servanthood. And I think that's important because I said at the beginning, we're called to be servants. All through the scripture, Jesus models servanthood, even to that last day where he, he, he takes himself and, and, and takes the, the position of a servant and washes the feet of the disciples. At our seminaries, we teach our students to, to be servant leaders. Even if some don't have the gift of leadership, we still encourage them to, to, to focus on servanthood and then learn the skills they need to be leaders. But what I'm finding more and more as I look at my own curriculum and look at the, the, the theology in general is that we don't attend so much to the idea of friendship as it ties to servanthood. And I think as we read the scripture, we'll see that Jesus turns it upside down when he comes and does ministry. You see, today, typically friendship with Jesus is relegated to something we find as being basic and simple. What's the first song you learned as a kid in church? What a friend do we have in Jesus, probably, many, many of us. Jesus loves, yes, I know that. There you go. Yes. So when we look at friendship with Jesus, it's typically seen as a foundational elementary thing almost. But mature faith is usually viewed as, as servanthood. You, you grow older and you grow in your faith and, and you move towards being a, a serious servant of God. And we tend to move away from the idea of friendship with God and friendship with Jesus. After all, we're called to be God's hands, his heart, his feet to the community. But we mustn't neglect what Jesus modeled for us in his own ministry. And that was friendship. His friendship was the model and the guide of his ministry. And see, Jesus turned it around. He didn't put servanthood at the top, but he put it as a foundation that we grow into friendship. Don't take my word for it. Let me go ahead and read, read, read from the scripture. I'm going to read from John chapter 15, verses 12 through 16. Hear these words. Jesus said, this is my commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. No one has a greater love than to give up his life for one of his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I don't call you servants any longer because servants don't know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because everything I've heard from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that 
you could go and produce the fruit so that your fruit could last. So here we have in the scripture, Jesus basically demonstrating that servanthood proceeds and, and, and grows into what God is calling us to, which is friendship. You see, when the apostles started out their ministry, he immediately set them off to serving. And a lot of them didn't like it. They were struggling with his teachings. It was very confusing to many of them. But they were also struggling with Jesus' willingness to engage with people they found to be untouchable, unlikable, and unlikely to accept his message. They didn't like the fact that he was dealing with enemies, long-held enemies of their people, and that he even ate with sinners. So the apostles or the disciples were learning how to serve first, and they were stumbling all the way through it. But eventually, after three years of, of walking alongside Jesus, being rebuked by him and learning from one another, iron sharpening iron, they learned friendship was the pinnacle of Christian service and servanthood. You think about that for just a moment. God who chooses us. We didn't choose God. God wants to be friends with us. That's unheard of in most world religions, that, that God wants to be your friend and you can be friends with God. And that intimacy that's suggested in friendship. And faithful friendship is a critical component to growing in faith and doing life together. Jesus could not and Jesus would not leave his, his, his followers to be mere servants. He left them as friends. And there was a reason for that. And there's a lesson for each and every one of us. Now the friendship I'm speaking about is not the friendship that most of us know as postmodern people. When I think of friendship, I think about people that share very various interests that I have, that, that are in clubs that I'm in, that might live around me, that might be in my own social location or my circle. But the friendship that God's talking about supersedes all those things. Now, it's not bad to have friends. I don't want to put that out there. But the friendship that God's calling us to has us all centered our focus on Christ. And it stands apart from our social location. It stands apart from our interests and our hobbies. It stands apart from, from what we may view as worldly friendship. Christian friendship is not controlling or one-sided, but it's mutual. And it brings together a diverse group of people. Look at the apostles. What a diverse group of people that were brought together. And then by bringing them together in Christian friendship, they're held together in accountability and they're held together in love. Pastor Justin last week, I, I took lots of notes from last week's sermon. Recently, he spoke about this idea of blind spots. Christian friends that edify us and build us up are wonderful for seeing blind spots that we can't see. Because servants can't speak into another person's life in love and friendship because they haven't earned the place to do so. They can't lift each other up nor forgive one another in grace when they haven't earned the place to speak into somebody's life. And problems arrive, and I found this in my own research, is when we assume the attitude of a servant, but we in turn are acting superior to others. And we try to speak into someone else's life without investing in ever knowing who they are. And it, it causes friction. Let me ask you, has anyone ever come into your life and tried to correct you, set you up, get you up straight and fly right again, who doesn't know you? How does that make you feel? For me, it angers me when someone speaks into my life that doesn't know me. They don't know my story. They don't know. And in many ways, it pushes us back. 
But the church, and I speak on behalf of the church, is a lot of time this is the way, the very way that we approach ministry. We come in the humility of a servant, but we're really acting as a host. Now, Jesus could go between host and guest quite easily, but the church often fails miserably. Even if we approach in humble humility and service, we often revert to being the host and those that are in charge. Dwayne Elmer is a missiologist, and I use his work in my class. He says, superiority cloaked in the desire to serve is still superiority. It's not our words that count, but the perceptions of local people who watch our lives and sense our attitudes. The fact of the matter is, is people know when they're encountering Christian friendship, and they also know when they encounter worldly friendships. When you go to a church and no one talks to you, it's because it's full of friendships that aren't based on Christian friendship. When you walk into Hyde Park, as I did, I was warmly welcomed here. And I have to say, as a researcher who travels in different places and and, and goes to lots of different churches, you've got something amazing going on here. The work of Justin and Vicki and other pastors here are fostering friendship. But we mustn't. We mustn't simply rely on our pastors. But we need to move forward with each other. So finally, servanthood, and I'll close with this idea. True servanthood mingled with faithful friendship is what servanthood was meant to be. And what it does is it fosters more than mere servanthood, and it fosters more than mere inclusion. My supervisor uh, is, is apt to saying, John Swinton, he often says that the difference between inclusion and belonging is inclusion is when you just welcome everybody in the door and everybody's welcome to have a seat and even participate. But belonging is when you're missed, when people come looking for you, when your presence is, is, is felt and your absence is also felt. And the fact is, is when that happens, when we sense that true sense of belonging, that true sense of friendship and servanthood, it's intoxicating and we want to come back. I've been wanting to come back to this church ever since I came here because I can sense it. But we can always do more. The truth is, word on the street is, this is a friendly church. I talk to lots of people and they always say, well, yeah, Hyde Park, they're friendly. They're a great place. And you are. But friendliness is a starting point. It's not an ending point. And I know the church does a lot to foster true Christian friendship, and we can always do more. When we see it, when we behold it, that's when it makes a difference, and it draws us in. I'd like to close with uh, where I began, really, with the, the guys I met in the park. Well, six years had passed. I had moved overseas and was doing my thing, and I remember moving back here and coming back here, and shortly after coming back, I got a phone call from somebody over on the East Coast. They said one of the guys had been riding his bike and suffered a massive heart attack and collapsed and he hasn't regained consciousness and that they think they're going to go ahead and remove his life support. Now, I used to be an ICU nurse and I remember patients that, you know, either had been estranged from their family or had lived out in the woods like this guy did for the last 10 years and usually those people didn't have a lot of people around them when they were dying. In fact, we would take turns as nurses sometimes just sitting with them so they didn't die alone because nobody should ever die alone. And so I I called up a friend and we agreed, hey, we're just going to go to the hospital and meet and we'll sit there with him because we wanted to just be there. So I drove 150 miles over to the hospital where he was. And I remember walking into the hospital to get my little badge you get when you go in. And she looked at me up and down and said, man, I'm really glad you're kind of a skinny little dude because she says, we don't have any, hardly any room in that room you're going to. 
really? She goes, yeah, you're probably the 12th or 15th person that's, that's, that's come through this morning to go up there. So I got up there, and sure enough, people were just pouring out of this room where this man was. And so I walked up to the first person I saw. It was a 14-year-old. She was at the edge of the door looking in. She had never seen anybody die before. So I asked her, well, what brought you here? She said, well, he was always listening to me in church when no one else was. He had time, and he listened. And I just didn't want him to go out alone, so I came. But I don't know if I can go in. So I went in the room, and there was a woman right up there at the bed. There's always somebody right there at the edge, and I assumed it was a family member, and she was holding his hand and stroking it. And so I quietly asked her, what, what brought you here today? She said, well, I know he hasn't talked to his family in 10 or 15 years, and I thought maybe I could stand in the gap and be his sister or his brother today when he passes away. And one after another, these people shared their stories of this man, this man that lived in the woods for the last 10 years, this man that joined the church. He took our invitation seriously and joined the church and came into the church. And as he was ushered into God's glory, he was surrounded by a whole group of people. And they weren't there because they were servants. They weren't there for obedience because they were following something God commanded them to do overtly. They were there because they were his friends, because they had been called to a higher calling, Christian friendship. My question today, and to all of us, including myself, is what, is, what will we do with that? How might God be calling you to be a friend of someone in this community, in this church, maybe at your work, maybe wherever you are in a sphere of influence, God may be calling you to step beyond mere servanthood and into friendship. Now, Hyde Park has lots of opportunities to grow thanks to the pastoral leadership here, but I encourage you, each of us, to look and see how God is calling us to go deeper. You can't be friends with 1,500 people. I know that. But you can be friends with people that God's called you to be friends with, even if that's one or two people. Will you pray with me? Dear gracious God, we thank you for the gift of friendship that you chose us. I pray now as we ponder what you've told us in your scripture that we embody this in our lives. And as we prepare our hearts to receive communion in the next few moments, let us remember that you open that table of grace as a table of friendship to a bunch of misfits that, that we're going to abandon you soon, but you still welcome them in friendship. Father, we come to that table of grace and we remember, we will remember that you chose us as friends. And may we go out of this place and be friends of those that you point us in that direction. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.